0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. In this song... The opening is not a rhetorical question where the answer is obvious. Is it, time, is it time to lead or is it time to die? Time to raise hell or walk on by? No. The question is a legitimate one asked by this young man, what are we supposed to do in this world? The song was sung by a young man by the name of Jordan Benjamin, better known, as, better known by his stage name and grandson. And with that first line, we are thrust into some deep and real spiritual questions. But I faced a question myself before we even get to that question. This series last year reconnected me with music in many ways after, and it's a long story, but for the better part of a decade, I've had a difficult time just kind of enjoying music for music's sake. But being able to come and do this series and to dive into some stuff, whether it was Johnny Cash or Collective Soul or, uh, or um, oh shoot, her name just flew out of my head. Anyway, all the people we did last year, It reconnected me and caused me to think a lot more about music and what music's supposed to do. And this came back to me even this week when I was having a wonderful conversation with my niece, who is 16 or is almost 16, and it, which is the golden era for music, right? Like all of your favorite tunes come from like 16 to 25. Am I right? Like she's coming right into her own, and so I'm like, "What are you listening to? Keep me dialed into what's going on." And I had no idea who she was talking about. Like she's already moved on from Taylor Swift, which I feel like is like the last thread I have of any sense of what's popular anymore. And so it's getting a little painful, like I don't even know what she's talking about, I don't even know where music is going. And as I approach, yes I know, but as I approach the age 40 in a couple of months, I thought about my own listening habits, and what I ask music to do, because I started going through my playlist, and I'm like, oh goodness, everything I'm listening to right now is from the 90s and the aughts, that's it. It's stuff that makes me feel good, but didn't ask any questions of me. And this is how music often goes from forming us, like I hope it does for Manice, to nostalgia, where it just takes us back to a time and asks us questions we're no longer asking anymore. And it's how we can often lose touch with the questions that we're asking today. And it's so easy for us to confuse art and entertainment. It's okay to be entertained by music, but when it is art, it asks questions of us. So music, yes, should make us feel good, but it should not only do that. It should force us to think about things otherwise we wouldn't want to think about. Good books do this, good art and paintings and good graphic design does this. Anything we call art asks us questions. That's what culture is all about. So instead of engaging with the music I like, I needed to engage with some music that I wasn't familiar with and to start asking some better questions. And so I pull up my Amazon music playlist. I just hit play, just start playing stuff that's popular. And this was the first song they played. And as it came up, I heard a deep, deep question of our time. This song that comes to us of all years from 2020. Let that sing in for a second. This song comes to us from 2020. Is it time to lead or is it time to die? Time to raise hell or to walk on by? Is there anyone out there that's paying attention? Farther down in the song, what are you trying to hide? What are you running from inside? Skeletons under the floorboards. I want everything and nothing at all. And he talks about people need healing. As you listen to this, if you can get underneath the poppy, catchy tune, which I do happen to like, this song is full of questions, uncertainty, self-doubt, all hidden underneath, yes, that really catchy pop tune. And this not, is this not the world that we live in? Underneath all of our entertainment, underneath all of our self-distractions, underneath all of our manicured self-images, we are wrestling with heavy and deep questions. And as I hear the generation yes is coming after me, I hear them asking, do we have one last stand to make as a society before authoritarianism and autocracy takes hold? Do we have one more last chance to save the planet? Do we have one last chance to love one another or is it too late and we simply just go on until death inevitably finds us? In an interview about this album, the album is called Death of an Optimist. <laughs> The artist Benjamin, he said, the underlying message of so much of my music has been this theme of optimism and hope. But he goes on to explain that he's not trying to create or share hope. He's not trying to encourage people towards hope. What he's trying to do is to reflect on them as concepts. He says, it was really an opportunity to reflect on and confront do I still have that optimism? This is not simply reconnecting to something that makes you feel good and gives you some oomph for the day. No, the question that he's asking in this song and in the album is, is hope even viable? Is hope even realistic anymore? And as people of faith, we say, oh my goodness, hope. One of the three cardinal virtues, we might say. I went diving back into the catechism of the Catholic Church, not because you know, that's my go-to for everything. But it has a wonderful definition of hope in it. It says, The virtue of hope responds to the aspiration to happiness which God has placed in the heart of every person. It takes up the hopes that inspire our activities and purifies them so as to order them for the kingdom of heaven. It keeps us from discouragement. It sustains us during times of abandonment. It opens up our heart in expectation of eternal beatitude. Buoyed up by hope, we are preserved from selfishness and led to the happiness that flows from charity. So hope is this virtue that we cultivate as people and we proclaim as a church and we say hope is one of the three most essential things we need. Faith, hope, and love. And one of these things is on the table as if it's even a realistic expectation. That's what this generation is asking And so if we see discouragement, if we see abandonment, if we see no expectation of a better future, then perhaps it's up to us to diagnose a lack of hope. And in the face of such heaviness of heart, sometimes... Our response has been to re- to judge these attitudes with cynicism to say well you're just not you know you just don't have enough faith or or you just want a handout or you know you just spend too much time on social media. We come up with all these excuses why somebody should be hopeless. But should that be our response? Is that our most faithful response? Or is it possible, and I want to tread right to the edge of the line here, is it possible that hopelessness might actually be biblical? if not a virtue. And it's not a virtue, but it might be biblical. Here's what I mean by that. This is where Ecclesiastes comes in, as Vicky laughs. laughs. Ecclesiastes is one of the most complex and least quote unquote biblical books of the Bible. But if there is a book that our moment would write, it is most certainly this one. Ecclesiastes stands over and against the book of Proverbs, Proverbs says, if I can paint in very broad brushstrokes, Proverbs says, if you do the right things, good things will happen to you. And we acknowledge that as people of faith, right? We encourage people to do good things because in the whole it tends to work out, yes? But Ecclesiastes and Job, which is right in the same neighborhood, both, both ask the question, well, wait a second, that doesn't always seem to work out. And in this way, it is a book that asks a lot of questions about hope. Because Ecclesiastes opens up with these words meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And Ecclesiastes invites us into a hard, unvarnished, and unfiltered wrestling with the world. And this is what we read today I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, wickedness was there as well. I said in my heart, with regard to human beings, that God has tested them to show them that they are no better than animals. For it is all vanity. They all have the same breath and humans have no advantage. All the toil and achievement is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. And then one of my favorite questions is, for who am I toiling? One of my favorite things I was going through is, because we don't spend a lot of time in Ecclesiastes, so I'm like, where are my commentaries? Somebody got to work this out for me. And so I open up Robert Alter, who is one of our best Old Testament translators. Robert Alter's work is gorgeous. And I see right at the beginning of what we read today is like there's this little number. So I go down to see what the footnote says. And the footnote literally says this string of words is not intelligible in the Hebrew. The Bible scholars don't even know what they're talking about. This author is scribbling unintelligible words like a high schooler who just broke up with their crush. Biblical. Hopelessness. Questions all right there in the Bible. And in this way, Ecclesiastes acknowledges the cry of their generation and the cry of our own. And Ecclesiastes refuses to let our faith become a a series of platitudes and moral pandering. Ecclesiastes says, Y'all got to face up to the lack of hopeless, to the hopelessness that is in the world. Ecclesiastes forces us to deepen our thinking about the world that we live in and to spread our compassion for those who suffer at its hands. Ecclesiastes has no time for empty platitudes like, you know, it's all going to work out in the end or just trust God or, you know, just pray about it. No, Ecclesiastes says you got to do better. You got to do better. And so what we read today is not virtuous, it is not something to be aspired to, but it grabs hold of us and says, you got to look at this, you've got to pay attention. And as I think about our own world, the one that grandson wants to think about, so much criticism I hear of the world we're in is rooted in this, we just don't want to deal with these issues. And so we blow it off with like, well, you know what, no one wants to work. Everyone wants stuff for free. No one is willing to get into relationships. You know, nobody's getting married. I mean, you hear this stuff all the time, right? And while I too bemoan all these things, I'm left to ask, well, why is that the case? What is going on? And we can argue about this, and there's lots of different perspectives, but to acknowledge the pain and the suffering that is present is part of what it means to be a Christian. I hear story after story about people who have lost hope because they just don't see where it's gonna get them. I read a story this week about a young man, wasn't headed to college, was going to automotive school. And we're all like, oh yeah, sounds real good. So you know what he had to do? He had to take out loans to go to automotive school, $40,000 in loans. And he's out now, he graduated third in his class. He's now out making $13.50 an hour, no benefits, he still has to borrow money from his mother for gas. That's a tough way to be. One student took out $25,000 in 1993. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of money, but their loans are now up to $110,000. That could cause some hopelessness. A headline this week the Federal Reserve reports US corporate profits have surged 25%, which is the biggest annual increase in close to over 50 years. Have your annual profits increased 25%? The greatest in over 50 years? No. Read about climate change. we got fires all over the place. We see war for absolutely no reason. We see this breaking down, these no shared values or convictions as a nation. All of this is happening. And for us to stop and to say, what is that? And how do we, how do we acknowledge that rather than just saying, pray about it? But the Bible gives us another way to think about this. Ecclesiastes says, it's okay to wrestle with these things. Ecclesiastes says you are not outside of the bounds of faith if these deep sort of fundamental questions are sitting on your soul or the souls of your loved ones. But it invites us to think about hopelessness in a slightly different way. Let me ask this question. What, is it, what if hopelessness isn't something that we do or a choice that we make? What if hopelessness is something that happens to us? What if these are the sense of hopelessness, this lack of direction, what if that kind of attitude and orientation of the heart is, to use a biblical word in a very metaphorical sense, a kind of demon that lays attack to us by day and steals away any sense of identity, a sense of purpose? What if, world, what if the world is coming after us rather than just saying, well, I ain't going to be a hopeful person? Wouldn't that change how we think about the moment that we find ourselves in? Wouldn't that change how we think about young men and women, you and me? As we grow up, our response would move from, you're not supposed to feel that way, to I wonder why you feel that way. And it might cause us to ask of each other, what is it that that is carving such gashes in our collective soul these days? And what shall we do in the face of such hopelessness? Well, church, what we would do if it really is that our, the people that we share life with, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our loved ones, if we really are sort of being put upon by a world that is coming apart at the seams, what we would do then is do what we always do, look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And here's what I mean by that. It's where this story of Jesus casting out this demon just pops off the page for me. Because Jesus comes into town, and he's teaching in the synagogue, Jesus doing his Jesus-y thing. And there's a man there, and the Bible tells us he is possessed by a demon. And before you ask me a ton of questions about that, no, I don't want to go diving into that about how all that works. Suffice it to say that there is something outside of this man that is doing something to this man. And whatever that is screams out at him, let us alone have you come to destroy us. There is such fear of Jesus in this man. It is nonsensical. It doesn't make much sense. But let us be reminded, it's not the man who made a choice. It's not the man who's screaming at Jesus. It is that which is inside of him. The issue is this demon, and suffice it for us to call it a spirit of antichrist, something that is over and against what Christ comes and stands for. And this sense of antichrist, the spirit of antichrist, comes inside of him and steals away his hope and, push, and had pushed this man away from life. It had overwhelmed the man and short-circuited his ability to make sense of the world that he found himself in. He was attacked. It wasn't a poor moral choice. And Jesus comes up to this man and he talks with him. And he casts this demon out. And like Jesus, are we not supposed to do battle with these things which push us down, which push our brothers and sisters down? Are we not called to repel these kinds of spirits through faith, hope, and love, to come alongside others and love them to hope? You see, Jesus doesn't rebuke the man. He doesn't say, you know what, if you confess your sins, it'll all work out. Jesus rebukes the spirit. He says, be silent and come out of him. And it was that that made the crowd sit up and take notice and go, oh goodness, this guy has got something else going on. It's not judgment. It's not do better. It's not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, which, by the way, is impossible. It's be silent and come out of him, and this man was made well. And So in this song that wrestles so deeply with hope, and whether it's even possible, I believe in some way we can connect the words of grandson to the words of Jesus says, do you have enough love in your heart to go and get your hands dirty? Do you love your neighbor? Is it in your nature? Do you love a sunset? Aren't you fed up yet? Aren't you fed up with the suffering of others? Do you have enough love in your heart to go and get your hands dirty? Jesus did. Jesus didn't blame the man for his demon. He didn't blame the man for what he was suffering. He just saw that he was suffering. And he got dirty and he stayed with this man until the demon that drove this man from goodness was expelled and restored him to the things, the earmarks of hope, encouragement, camaraderie, the hope of a life of purpose and direction, the things that make for hope. And so as we prepare, as we talked about in our call to worship to go back out into the world, my question is, who out in your world needs a message of hope? It's probably more than you think. Is there someone asking a lot of heavy questions? Is there someone who's not sure where it's all headed? Is there someone who just doesn't know where to go because what is the point? Well, that's the place you're invited to go and get your hands dirty. To be alongside of somebody and just say, what's going on? What's up with your soul? For everything in the world that we have to experience right now, the world yet needs the church to be a place where it gets its hands dirty in hope. And that will require faith and courage. Can't do it from a distance can't do it just like do better or try harder that won't work to come up alongside people and maybe unlike Jesus Jesus had this power you could just cast it out you and I were gonna have to love it out slowly but surely saying you know what yes it looks hopeless but in Christ we have hope and because you are a beloved child of God you deserve to hope and so in a hopeless world at least in this place let us not be devoid of hope but let us go and get our hands dirty Amen.